0: turn of Christ than we have ever, ever been. I mean, er, than anybody has ever been. And I found myself thinking about that, and it has moved me to, to do a special message this evening. So would you move, uh, head over in your Bibles to Second Corinthians 4, if you haven't already done so, uh, as we think about this, but very specifically... In light of where we are, is this is uh, kind of the, the week of Sukkot and, and the things that are taking place there. We're going to dive into it uh, here in Second Corinthians 4. If you don't have a Bible, they're around you in chairs nearby. You can grab one. You can uh, use your phone or, or device and follow along. That would be great. If you're joining us online, we want to just say the same or in our overflow. We're hoping you have a Bible. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where you want to head to. Well, with that kind of opening up to us where we're going to head this evening, let me just lead us in prayer, asking that God would open up his word to us, longing that you would pray as well, that God would give you an ear to hear what he would say to you. Father, this evening, we just come. We come in in the midst of our day, but in the midst of this season in the world and this season in our lives and ask that, Lord, you would refresh what you would have for us to hear right now, that you would give us help, that you would give us strength, that you would give us the, 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 the words from even the, your word tonight in a way that would just touch us. And so, Lord, look upon us. Grant us help to hear you. By the power of your Spirit, speak to us. Use your word effectively in us. Lord, help us not to miss this, miss what you would have. We ask for that together right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Sukkot, uh, the the Feast of Tabernacles, it is where we are, and maybe maybe you might even be a tiny bit confused if you're reading with us in our daily Bible reading. You had the daily Bible reading bookmark, and you might recognize that we usually give space for you to pause uh, during the the the, fall, the Jewish feasts that are the Old Testament feasts, and we did. Monday, you paused in our reading in the Book of Romans, and you were reading there in Revelation 21 and 22, and reading about the Feast of Tabernacles, and so now you're here on Wednesday, and you might be thinking, well, Jim, that was Monday. Why are we, you know, Sukkot was then. Well, actually, uh, Sukkot is a week-long celebration. Uh, It is the longest of the Jewish feasts, Uh, so it started on Monday, but it will actually run through Sunday. Uh, That right now, if you were over in Israel, uh, if you have anybody that you know or you see videos, you you might know that they are celebrating even now, Uh, that this is this whole week long, uh, just a celebration of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. So again, just thinking about that drew me to this time of spacing and thinking. Okay, well, let's pause and let's dive into it for a moment. Now, as we do that, let me tell you what we're going to do. I recognize some of you are here a couple weeks ago on Monday on, on Sunday when we uh, gave you an overview uh, of all of this. We talked about all of the feasts, the seven that are found there in the Book of Leviticus, and we helped you kind of get that. If you missed that you can go back and and get that message. It was called Eagerly Waiting, and we did it out of Hebrews, and definitely uh, would encourage that, because I'm not going to go and unpack all of that. But I do want to just give us a little bit of a perspective uh, about uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, about what it looks like, and and, and what this season would mean for us. Uh, Do my best to kind of give you a quick rundown of that, and then we're going to do something a little bit different. So I'm kind of giving you an FYI before we get there. I want to give you the opportunity to ask questions. Uh, we, we have a, a little roving mic, and so if you have a question uh, about either the feast or you have a question about heaven, because that's really what we're going to be talking about tonight uh, as, you, as we think about Sukkot and the things that are there, we'll give you some spaces where you can ask, and I will do my best to sit there and go, I have no idea. I mean, that's probably what's going to happen, so, uh, but we'll just give it a shot. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where you are, and we dive back into it, and remember from a couple weeks ago, I showed you this. That out of the seven feasts that are found in the the Old Testament book of Leviticus, three of them are what's known as the fall feasts. That is the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. We've watched each of those and we think about what they're foreshadowing. And I would put to you, they're all foreshadowing that which is yet to come. As we look at the other feasts, they've all been fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus. Uh, that each one has, you know, Jesus ha- ha- has enacted and brought to pass and, and, and is working in the midst of it. But right now we're looking at three that are yet to come. Jesus gathering his church, what we know is the rapture, the second coming of Jesus, and then ultimately being in heaven forever and ever. Now, I don't know if it's helpful. I don't know if anybody, you know, kind of finds it helpful, but let me just do it as a quick timeline, uh, if it helps you to kind of think about how these things unfold. So, we think about where you are. If I was to put you on a timeline, it's okay, here we are, 2022. We're right here on the timeline. Really, one of the next events that is on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. A time that Jesus told us nobody knows. Nobody knows that day. Nobody knows the hour. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. You were to live in expectation of it, but it really is the next event. Nothing needs to happen. Uh, Before that happens, it could happen at any moment. It could happen tonight. I hope it does. So that'll be the rapture. Following the rapture, whether it's immediate or some space in between, there's a little bit uh, just kind of debated among Bible students, but the next big event is the tribulation that will last seven years. The great tribulation actually is the last half of that, but it's enough for us just to look at it and say a time that God is gonna be allowing judgment to happen into the world, but also a sifting, a time to be turning and doing a work in the midst of his people and in the midst of the world. That tribulation will then be followed by Jesus coming back and ruling and reigning. He will rule and reign for 1,000 years, the book of Revelation tells us, that you know he'll be here on the earth, uh, he'll be you know, you know just governing the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, we'll be there with him. Uh, we'll be doing great, but there will still be sinners in the world. There will still be people who can sin, who need to come to Christ, that uh, the gospel is still being presented. There'll still be you know, a world that can go wrong, and at the end of that millennium, it will. Final rebellion of mankind, at the end of it, there's the judgment that takes place at the end of the millennium, the great white throne judgment when God judges, and then that will take us into eternity, into a new heavens, a new earth where there's no more curse, and there's no more sin, and there's no more pain. So if you're thinking about that, I don't know if that even just lands, but as you think about the three-fall feasts, understand that they prefigure it, that we think about the Feast of Trumpets. It is a picture of the rapture of the church, that last trumpet that's going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to rise, and we're going to meet Jesus together in the air. It's going to be a glorious day. And really, the Feast of Trumpets just gives us that perspective. That takes us into the Day of Atonement that really begins at the end of the Tribulation when Jesus comes riding back on a white horse, bringing in uh, you know, a righteous reign that he will rule on earth for a thousand years uh, that will finalize uh, in the great white throne judgment. And anybody whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into hell. All of that is in that space. And at the end of that, there's a new heaven as a new earth, no more sin, no more curse, righteousness forever and ever. Eternity is is really what we're looking at. And I would let you just kind of think through with me for some points this evening that the Feast of Tabernacles prefigures that, that now we're looking past, you know, the tribulation, past the millennium. We're looking into eternity. We're looking into this space that is forever and ever and worth our consideration because, again, it's forever and ever. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your forever and ever future and it's coming. And there's something about this uh, feast that is meant to be there for us. So we think about that again, the Feast of Tabernacles that started Monday, that's going to last till Sunday. And I want to just help you to think about it with five quick things. And then again, we'll take some questions if you have any. If you don't, then I will just keep teaching. And so we'll be good. But five quick things that I want you to think about when you think about the Feast of Tabernacles. The first is that it is the last, and it is the longest. And it is the most joyful of all the feasts that are given to us in Scripture. There's seven of them. And so this is the last. And obviously it gives us that perspective of the, of the end of everything that's going to go. And it's the longest. It literally lasts for a week. Uh, there's not any of the other feasts that do that, that, that have this long celebration. It's a feast that, that lasts that way. And, and when it's recorded in Scripture, it singularly is the one that speaks of joy. Uh, of a, a rejoicing and uh, calling us to that. And so though some of the others are somber and holy and, you know, meaning to be there, there is this sense of joy. In the midst of this, it is commemorating uh, Israel's wilderness journey of Israel before they were living in the land. Now, let me give this to this really, really quickly. Probably most of us understand this, but it's helpful just to capture it really quickly. So the children of Israel, uh, they, you know, Moses leads them, uh, God leads them through Moses out of the land of Egypt, parting the Red Sea, uh, the, the Passover lamb, this incredible journey is he was taking them into the land of Israel to give them the land, uh, to give that to them. And if you know the story, they, don't, they take 40 years to get there. They take 40 years to get there. Their own disobedience is a part of that. And there are lessons to be found in that, that the book of Hebrews and other places draw out. At the same moment, it also has another picture. And that's the picture that Tabernacles dives into. Because for 40 years, they had no homeland. For 40 years, uh, they literally move in tents. Uh, you know, every time the tabernacle moves, they move, they have no place to, you know, to, to, to set up camp, they just move, and they move, and they move, and, and, and constantly on the run, having no homes, no lands, no, you know, planting of fields, uh, no place to call home, and they live this whole duration at the end of, uh, in this space of living in tents. At the end, at that 40 years, God takes them into the land and gives them a homeland, gives them fields that they hadn't planted, homes and places. And so from the Jewish perspective, when they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, it's to remember that. It's in a sense to say, hey, we remember. We remember when we didn't have a home. We remember when we didn't have a land. We remember what it was like, what it would was like to, to live in a place that, you know, you, you have no space to call, no space to be there. And so that's the idea of tabernacles or Sukkot, which is the Hebrew word for tabernacle. It literally has the idea of a tent, has the idea of it. And so you would see a tabernacle, much like I have there on the screen there, that is this, you know, kind of dwelling place that they would build in all over Israel today. People are doing it. Uh, they've gone and they will, you know, build on their roofs and in their, their, their backyards and in their spaces. They will build a, ta- a little Sukkot, a little tabernacle. Uh, biblically, they were really supposed to live in it for a week. Most Jews don't live in it for a week. Most of them have one meal a day uh, in, in under, under their little, you know, kind of tabernacle thing where they just go out there and, and celebrate in the midst of it. But you would see all kinds of designs, whether it's made of fabric, you know, some very elaborate, you know, some just, you know, done out of branches. And it's just a fun, I mean, for, for most Jews even today, it's really, really fun. It's this place of uh, almost, you know, from a kid's perspective, it's like, setting up a tent in the backyard, you know, and the whole family is, like, eating in the tent, you know, it's like, hey, this is, this is a lot, and, and it really is a fun uh, celebration in the midst of that. It's a good thing even to think through, some have, and some of you know, I mean, uh, she's doing it right now, so Angela, who's teaching in the Bible Explorers, they, she is, very much into this, and so she's even teaching the kids some of this this evening, and so they made one. So uh, she sent me a picture, so this is theirs, and so uh, their little, you know, kind of tabernacle where they're eating and having dinner this week during it, and just having a good, you know, having a space of saying, hey, we get it. We kind of are thinking through uh, what it's looking like, and so uh, just a fun thing, but in many ways, you just need to understand that perspective. You need to understand what a tabernacle is, and that the idea was, Hey, we didn't have a house. We didn't have a home. We didn't have a place. We lived in tents. And so this whole feast is built off of that imagery. What we think about it, and it gets much more powerful than just thinking about a 40-year wilderness, because all of that prefigures what God is doing in us. So you have it here in 2 Corinthians 4. If you haven't turned there already, turn there with me. And I want you just to kind of read through, and we'll just kind of note that that's the exact imagery that uh, God is using here for us in our lives. And so he gives us this perspective in the first part of it that, you know, a tent, it's kind of like our earthly bodies now. So he gives it to us in verse 16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. He says, here we are, we have these physical bodies and they are not going well. I mean, they're they on a downward road. I don't I hope that's not you know, like new information to you, uh, but that's where all of our bodies are going. He says, our outward man is dying. Our physical bodies are dying. These afflictions, he tells us in verse 17, these light afflictions, which are but for a moment, are working for us a far more exceeding, an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look... And things which are seen, but there are things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So he says, we're going through troubles, we're going through afflictions, but they're doing something. All of the things we're going through right now, they're doing something. It's working in our lives. God is working everything together for good. He's working a way to glory, but these things are going to pass away. This thing, you know, we, we look at things, he says in verse 18, uh, the things which are seen, Uh, You know, the things which are seen are temporary, he says at the end of it there, for the things which are not seen are eternal. What we look on right now, it's just a temporary space. It's a tent, he tells us in verse 1 of chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he ties into the imagery. He says, okay, if you think about it right now, your physical body, it's like that. You're living in a tent. You're living in a place that is, is, is doesn't fit, doesn't last. It's going to wear out. It's going to wind down. It's it's everything that's a part of our whole world. And our lives now are like that, living in a tent. But this isn't the end of the story for us. Tabernacles kind of pictured this moving forward. And so it does for us. We're looking forward to a home. We're looking forward to, to moving out of the temporary dwelling and moving into an eternal dwelling, which he tells us there. In verse 1, again, he says, now we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have something that's going to last forever. We have this, you know, heavenly bodies that he's going to provide for us that are eternal. He says, these are not going to last, you know, they are, you know, made by, not made with hands, but they're eternal in the heavens. And he says, if we if we look on this, we, we long for it, we long for this habitation, he tells us in verse two. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Like we want, we want those new bodies, like we, we want those habitations, we want these new spaces that God is going to provide for us. God is gonna do that. He says in verse three, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. That's a fun description. He says, this mortality, which is what we live in right now, we frail bodies that falling apart, they're not going to be this way forever. Life, I mean, abundant, eternal, they're going to be swallowed up by this glorious life that is going to be ours. Now, verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. So in an interesting way, which he tells us this here, but both in the book of Ephesians, that kind of the first installment of what's to come is the work of the spirit that's already happening in our lives. That every believer has this, and it's a small foretaste of that which is to come. That we have this thing that's this reminder that all of this is coming, that we have this in our future expectation. Now, I pause again and say, okay, it's probably not something you've never heard before, but it's again a good reminder to say, okay, right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're looking forward to an eternity with him, and you're gonna have brand new bodies heavenly bodies. We're going to have these, you know, you know, ones that no longer are marked by mortality and no longer, uh, you know, marked by frailty, and all of this is coming, and it's going to be a glorious existence. So tents we understand, homes we try to understand right now, and the idea of the Feast of Tabernacles as to anticipate the day when in heaven you will look back to this world and much like the Jews who you know, sit there in the land of Israel today and they celebrate by having feasts, they say, you know, hey, we just want to remember what it was like when we didn't have a homeland. We want to try to remember what it was like when we didn't have a space. Well, for you and I, this feast anticipates a day where you and I are going to be there and in the future we will look back to that which we've left behind. Now, it's a fun thing. It's very, very possible that we will continue to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles into eternity. We know it's celebrated in the millennium. It's the only feast uh, that's recorded for us being celebrated in the millennium in the midst of it. But it's very, very likely it'll move into heaven because time still goes forward into heaven. I don't know if you think about some people like, well, you know, we don't have time in heaven. Yes, we do. Uh, There's still time in heaven. There's still fruit trees in the book of Revelation that bear fruit every month. We, God doesn't have time, you and I do. And I just think it's kind of a fun deal. I just, I won't be surprised at all if, you know, we just sit down every now and then in some kind of heavenly coffee shop and sit down there at some Feast of Tabernacles and maybe you and I will do it. Maybe we'll sit there and we'll just sit there and go, so what do you remember? What is it about living in a tent that you remember how hard it was being, you know, in that, the world that we suffered with? Was it, was it pain that you remember? Man, I remember our world with pain. We don't have pain any longer. Remember that? We used to have pain. Uh, you remember, you know, uh, you know, cancer and you remember death. You remember what that was like to have to go to a funeral? We don't do that any longer. We don't, we don't do funerals anymore. You remember what it was like to have allergies? You know, I don't know. It's kind of, you, know I just, you remember all those things we'll be like, I wonder what we'll remember. But that's the idea. So the whole framework is this anticipation of a day when the sufferings that are our present sufferings are only seen in the rearview mirror and only seen as a celebration of that which is no longer our lot in life. Now, that's going to be glorious. I got got to tell you, it's going to be incredibly glorious. It's going to be beyond anything that you and I could imagine. It's going to be better than, than, than we could ever anticipate, but let's also still be clear. We're not there yet. So, The Feast of Tabernacles has this interesting dynamic that it's causing you and I to to want to live that way, that we look at like the book of Revelation, where it tells us that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death and no more sorrow, no crying, there shall be no pain, for those former things have passed away. Then it says, he who sat on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. He said to me, right, for these words are true and faithful. Like, this is really going to happen. This is really going to happen. He who testifies to these things, he says, uh, says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So we look on all of this as that which is supposed to come. And so what this does for us is it's supposed to meet you and I now to strengthen us in our life of faith. That this whole understanding of present life versus what eternal life is going to be like is meant to meet us in a way that helps us. So I just go back to it. I think about how he said it there in verse 1. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. So some of this is meant to cause us to have great desire for it. This almost groaning. I like groaning. Groaning is one of those fun things that you can sit there and say, well, you know, that's almost, you know, it's more than words. you know." And, and sometimes I like to think, okay, like every groan, I wonder. I wonder if, our, if, our, if even our bodies aren't saying, I can't wait till I never have to do that again. I mean, some of you added to it today. I mean, you got out of bed this morning, and you groaned. And you're like, ah, man. This, and there's just something. But you might not even realize it. We're actually saying, I can't wait. And it's more than that. I have a little fun with that. But it's more. there's supposed to be this place where you and I are looking forward. It's like, I can't. This is going to be so good. This is going to be something that when I read it, when I know it's going to happen, when I believe it, I should be earnestly desiring it. I should be longing for that. I should be one that is expecting that and and longing for those days. And in the midst of that, be absolutely confident. So go down to where we left off. I'll just go back and read in verse 5 for context. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we're home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So again, there's a number of really cool things in the midst of that, but maybe the key word, obviously, as I read it, is there is confidence. What this is supposed to do in you is to know, this is really going to happen. I am confident. I am absolutely confident that that's coming. I am absolutely confident that that God is going to be working that. I am absolutely confident that that God's going to make that to happen. And it's supposed to be a place that today, when we're not yet there, we don't yet have that space. it, It is a place that instead of just, well, you know, I kind of hope it all works out. You know, it's like, no, I'm confident. I am so confident I'm excitedly confident. And so Sukkot, the feast of tabernacles in some ways is meant to stir that up into a place that we gaze on it. We look on it. We long for it in a way that would just increase that in our lives. I think about it this way. I like the way Paul would say it in the book of Philippians. He says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I like that. Again, a couple of weeks ago we talked about it, how many times uh, the Bible calls you and I to be eagerly waiting. Uh, We're so looking forward to this. He says we really belong in heaven. Like our citizenship is there, and we are waiting. We are eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. According to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. And that's an incredible mouthful. I just want to tell you that's pretty cool. He's like, you know, he can do it, he is going to change us. That we're going to be transformed. You know, our, our existence in heaven isn't just a continuation of you know, our physical existence here. It's going to be radically different. Our, 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 this lowly body is going to be radically changed into a glorious body, and it's coming because he's able to do that. And there's just a lot that's in there that's special to me, uh, just this idea that he is able to do that and fully accomplish that, subduing all things uh, to himself. Which, by the way, I'll just quickly toss out one of the best things of all, is that he'll bring us into full obedience, uh, willingly. I mean, one of the things that's going to be so exciting about heaven is you're never going to be able to blow it again. Uh, Sin, the curse is over, there's no more there. But one of the interesting things is the way it's going to happen. It's not that he's going to take away, you know, the ability to think or feel. Uh, It's not as if we're going to become mindless automatons or robots. No, but he's able to subdue us. He's able to bring us to a life that is fully in Christ. And there's incredible depth that Philippians gives us here that just meets me in a way that I'm so excited for it. It's like, let's do that. Let's do that. That sounds great. Like, I am so excited it's coming. Now, that desire, again, is supposed to be where we are. I think about it this way in Hebrews. I like the passage that describes it in Hebrews 11, some of you familiar, where it talks about Abraham. Abraham. Uh, who also kind of lived in that kind of you know, tent-dwelling space without having a homeland. He says, for he dwelt in a land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited. He waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. It's an amazing thing. I mean, the call of Abraham that he literally did spend his entire life living in a tent, never actually seeing the land that was promised to him, the nation that was promised to him in his his future, but he believed it. He says he lived his whole life in this tent, waiting, waiting for a city that God would build, waiting for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. These all, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them, afar off were assured of them and embrace them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Maybe in some ways that's really what I'm trying to encourage. If nothing else lands this evening, I long that this does. There in our passage in Corinthians, it says we are confident. We are absolutely confident this is going to happen. It says these ones were, they saw it, they saw it. They lived this life walking by faith, not by sight. And they saw what was far off and they knew it. They knew it was coming. They were assured of it. They embraced them, and they said, you know what? This is not our home. This world is not home to me. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien in this world. I don't fit here. I'm a pilgrim who's passing through. Tells us, for those who say such things, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Again, I'm pausing just to say it to you. I like this. Maybe you already do. If not, can I tell you Sukkot is a great time to pause and just say, God, if, if I haven't said it out loud, I want to say it out loud. I'm looking forward to a homeland. I'm looking forward to a, a, another space. I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to a, a city that you build. I'm looking forward, you know, and I just want to say it. I just want to say it. Like, like I'm, a, I'm passing through. This is not my home. If you say those things, he says, you are declaring plainly that you seek a homeland. And truly, if they'd called to mind that country which they come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. Like they could have gone back uh, into that if they really wanted the world. But it says, you know, they now desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Those are cool words. Those are cool words. And they are ones that again, tonight, that I think that God would want even to kind of roll in across us. They say, okay, if you're saying this, If you believe the promises to quote, if you believe the promise of heaven, and you believe the promise of what God is doing, that, you know, you desire that that heavenly country, and you even just afresh set yourself that way, I just love that God says, that makes me proud. I'm not ashamed to be called your God. I mean, when you live that way, you honor me. When you live that way, you, you bring that pleasure that God says that he is, you know, in that sense, not ashamed, which is a great way to say it, by the way, that he's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the way you live. That's, that's the way to live. That's what I'm looking for. That's what he's longing for. And all of those are realities that this now becomes for us. So that's one of the reasons why it makes it so good to think through the, the the feast, to think through what's coming, to think through uh, the promises that are there, to kind of reorient ourselves into these things. So tonight, again, I'm holding that out to you. I'm just holding out to you that there is a space both tonight and if you end up just thinking about uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles up through Sunday, that there would be a space of just thinking, okay, God, I want to think this thing through. I just want to be that one that recognizes Yes, these things are coming. Yes, there's hope. Yes, there's joy. Yes, there's, you know, much that's found there, and it's meant to be that which is encouraging to us. So with that... I'm going to pause there, and I'm going to give you opportunity if you have, uh, you know, a question, again, about this this evening, because that's where we want to be. If you have a question about the, the, the feast or if you have a question about heaven, uh, you, you can ask him. So Kevin is going to be coming by. He has a microphone. Uh, we'll bring it to you so you don't have to, like, stand up and do that. But at the same moment, to let those who are streaming online and in uh, the overflow uh, just be able to answer those questions. So who wants to start? Anybody have a question? See, I gave you time to think about it, so you're supposed to have a question already. Unless I did such a great job answering it, which I did not, so. Anybody have a question that you'd want to ask about the, the feasts the feast that are coming or about heaven itself? When are we going to be there? <laughs> <laughs> Mike's question is, when are we going to be there? Oh, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Uh, long for it. that's the idea, is we're longing for that day, but it'll be a moment. You know, I think about what, what, what Peter tells us, that for a day in the life of the Lord is like a thousand days and a thousand years is like a day. It's just a day. What else? So, you know, you talk about the, the feast continuing on to uh, during the millennium. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's confusing to a lot of people. They're like, well, why are they doing feasts when, you know, Jesus already died on the cross? And right. why are we doing any of those things? I was just hoping that you would explain that a little bit. Okay. So, you know, we think about the feasts and, and all that they are. We, we definitely have pictures. Royce's question, you know, again, is what that's going to look like in the millennium and into eternity. Um Again, we, we think about it even now that for us in, in remembering these things it's it's seeing Christ and seeing all that he is now, how that will be celebrated during the millennium it's actually a little bit of a question uh, it's actually a little bit of uh, you know debate among Bible students you know how those things will be celebrated during the thousand years. If you have read through the Book of Ezekiel, you get to see it, so I 'm just going to simply say, I actually have no idea so um, uh, you know I mean there, there, it, it's entirely possible that you know, we'll get into the millennium, and it'll be much like this. Uh, it'll be much like us taking communion. Uh, it'll be a commemoration of remembering what Christ has already done for us, uh, no longer being, you know, Jesus by one sacrifice forever. He uh, fulfilled those things. You know, at the same point, there, it's entirely possible, as you read through the book of Ezekiel, it will be sacrifices and those things, but either way, it'll tie into these realities. It'll tie into the realities of that which is still yet to come. So, don't know if that totally answers the question. If I even went that way, but there's a lot there, and much I don't know the answer to. Good. What else? See, so you guys are. See, I was kind of curious how this was going to work. I was either curious you guys were going to totally inundate me with questions or not have any questions. It's again scaring me here a little bit. No, not really. Any questions at all? Any questions? If not, we're just going to go back and dive through it a little bit more slowly and just talk about a few of the things. In Revelations, it talks about everybody having to come to Israel or they won't get rain. Do you think that this might be feast that we'll be having? Okay. So it's not actually in Revelation. I think it's in Zechariah that talks about that. And so, yeah, it, it actually says that during the millennium, and it actually speaks of the, of the Feast of Tabernacles, then anybody that doesn't come up for the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, that in that place of righteousness, they they'll just won't get any rain uh, on their land, which is a fascinating thing. And again, just quickly touching on that. The millennium's is going to be entirely different. I mean, it's a hard thing to actually even try to imagine. It's not heaven yet because people can still sin. Uh, people can still do the wrong thing. Uh, there will be, you know, people that still die. It tells us that children that die at 100 years old will be considered dying early. Uh, so it's not yet heaven. It's not yet perfect. But Jesus is going to reign. I mean, he's going to reign in power and righteousness. So if you have somebody that says, hey, you know what? We're just not going to go up to the feast. God says, fine, you just don't get any rain. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, this is, it's going to be that quick. It's going to be that, you know, like if you're not engaging, you're not walking in the things that God has, not coming up to the feast, nations and stuff will will suffer in the midst of it. And they will obviously do that. There's going to be a continual kind of a building of rebellion among mankind. So at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released from his bondage and is able to lead mankind astray. But it's still a fascinating thing. Because it's going to be a very different world. It's not heaven yet. Again, that's sometimes where it gets confusing. Because the millennium, like, well, the millennium, heaven, what's different? Well, people can still sin. People will still be being born. Uh, People can still rebel. Um, you know, we won't, I mean, because if you're with Christ, you're, you know, we're going to be back there with him, you know, ruling and reigning with him, the Bible says, and watching over this broken world, but it'll be a world, almost the kind of world that some of you wish it was right now, that you're like, man, that would be great, you know, like if, if people just did wrong, and like bat, you know, got suffered, you know, got, con- that's how it's going to work, and blessing, and righteousness, and it'll be glorious, so that kind of, in the midst of that, so yeah, it's definitely a feast, it, that one that's mentioned in Zechariah is the Feast of Tabernacles that people have to come up to, good. Gailah in the back. I'm sure that you've taught this a million times, but it, my feeble brain. But the New Jerusalem, when it comes down, is that during the millennium? That's after. Right. So the, if, if you, you know, when you read through the book of Revelation, so again, some of you read it this week, so you get Revelation 19 and 20, which is the early millennium. Uh, So Jesus coming at the end of the thousand years, ruling and reigning, Satan being bound. That takes us up to the the place where all mankind is judged. Then we get the new heavens and new earth, which is 21 and 22. And that's where the new city of Jerusalem comes down, which is in the, you know, after the millennium. It's it's free into eternity. Okay. Then why does it have walls and gates and it says no evil will be able to come into Mm -hmm. or penetrate it? There won't be any evil, will there? Right. So it has walls and gates, although it says the gates are never shut. Uh, so the, the, they'll never be shut, and in many ways, it uses terminology in chapter 21 and 22, where it says, you know, outside uh, are, are the wicked, and no evil will be able to come into them, those aren't statements that it exists on the outside, I mean, hell still exists, I mean, and so yeah, there are people in there, but never again will it come in, never again will there ever be anything entering into that space, so it's not a place of saying, you know, that we're still, you know, putting walls around to protect it, because he says the walls are there just for, for their beauty and their celebration, mm-hmm. but the gates are open, because never again will evil come in there ever again. Again, it's kind of an interesting way John words it there in 21 and 22, but it's not meant to say that they exist anymore in the creation. Because when it's described, it sounds absolutely beautiful, and it's yeah. just unimaginably it's beautiful. Yes, very much so. Good. Anybody else? Suzanne. Could you just talk a little bit about the original purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles, and also, do you think that most of the people who are celebrating it is just like a tradition, like mm-hmm. they, it's just like a big party, they all do right. it, or do they really, um, are they really celebrating the real original reason, the provision of God when they were in- right. So the question is, you know, again, where did it, you know, there's a lot of traditional statements about how the Feast of Tabernacle comes out, but again, we have it given to us in Leviticus, uh, again, describing it for this, that, you know, in God's original kind of timing of it, it was meant to be a celebration. So this was from the very beginning. This is from, you know, right there at, that Moses gets it uh, right there at Mount Sinai, gets the the whole provision that it was meant to be a celebration of that. It was meant to be a celebration of what God was doing and there's a lot of neat, interesting, traditional elements that have worked in over the years, wondering whether the Feast of Tabernacles celebrates other things. I'm kind of a simple guy. I'm like, well, if it's in the Bible, I need to know it. If I don't, I'm not going to get uh, lost in those things. Um, so again, kind of, I don't know if that kind of answers that part of it, but again, it was always meant to be that way. That's what God gave it. Do the Jews today understand that? Absolutely not. Um, you know, we live in a time where some of you are reading in the book of Romans where Paul talks about blindness in part happening to the, the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and it's a sad reality. So I'm going to get to go over to Israel, and some of you are going to go with us in uh, the spring, and it's a lot of fun and terribly sad at the same point. Um, it's kind of like stepping into the New Testament when you uh, get to read uh, where Jesus talks about this, people draws near to me with their, their, their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Uh, you know that they don't know and so if you were to go and sit down uh, with people that are building Sukkotes all over and you asked them it'd be uh, some of them would be like I don't know that's just kind of what we do it's kind of like you know you celebrate Christmas and you give presents we build this thing and it's so much fun and we have such good food but no most of them don't uh, fully comprehend today it's not it's not I mean there are some uh, that w- maybe in the some of the Hasidic, communities which will try to teach, hey, this is what we are and where it is. But again, it's all backwards looking. Uh, from their perspective, it really is not so much looking to the future, which you know we're looking and saying that was just the beginning and it's just a form that the rest of the scripture begins to tell us the story. So I don't know if that kind of answers it in, in the midst of it. Good. Any last questions? Yes. Mickey's watching online. And she asked, will we be able to interact with those on earth during the thousand years? Will we be able to sit down, have a a cup of coffee with them? Will they be able to see us? Okay, so during the thousand years, what will that look like for us? Well, again, Jesus tells us that, you know, those of us who are faithful to him and how that works, we're going to be able to, you know, be a part of him doing that. That, that So, you know, we're going to be back on the earth helping, you know, rule and reign in that. And he talks about, you know, as faithful as we are here as much service uh, we'll have in the midst of that. So it would seem uh, that we're a part of it. It would seem that, yes, you know, that people will be able to see us and we'll be able to see each other. And uh, in the midst of all that, it seems that we get to interact uh, with the world in the midst of that space. Anybody else? What about the coffee part? <laughs> what about the coffee part? Yeah. <laughs> That's just, you know, everything good comes down, is from his hands. So I'll tell you what. If you have other questions, you can by all means ask. You know, we're going to try to do some more question and answer things in the future because I really would like to know where you guys are and where you are thinking about it. But let's go back to the text. And I just want to point out a few more quick things to you. And, and then we'll land there this evening in a way of just saying, however it works, it's meant to give you hope. It's meant to work into your life hope. So go back with me and just let's just slowly, quickly read through it, point out at a few quick things that we read over. Go back to chapter 4, verse 16, and it just begins this way. Therefore, we do not lose heart. I just want to just pause and say, that's what this is supposed to do. This understanding of what is to come, of the heaven that is our future, Uh, of what God is going to do, is to help you not give up, not lose heart, not to be one that is like, what's the purpose? Why even try? Why even move forward? Why, you know, the world is so broken. Why even try? It's like, here's why. Here's what keeps us from losing heart. Here's what keeps us from doing that. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. Our bodies are dying. That's just the the truth of the matter. We're all on a road that's going in a very clear direction. We're going to die. His bodies are going to die. I hope that's very, very clear to you. I hope that understanding of life is clear to you at the same moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, that inward person in you, it's not. In fact, every day. Every day. Every day it says it's being renewed, that who we are in Christ and what he's doing in us is this fresh, ever new, and constantly being renewed space that is meant to be a part of your life, like it's meant to be a part of your experience. Facing all that, he says, for our light affliction, and it's just fun to stop and say, Paul's light affliction way outdoes mine. I don't know about yours, but if you ever want to read through Paul's struggles and his being beaten and cast into jails, and then it's like, okay, your light affliction, he says it's, it's really, really light in comparison, and it's really, really short. It, this light affliction, which is just for a moment, it is working for us. A far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. That would be good in your life, by the way, just to believe that, to believe that nothing you're going through is wasted, that God is working good in glory, but we look at something, not at the present, not at this world, he says. While we look at the things which are seen, I'm uh, sorry, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. So we, we look at it right now and we just recognize, you know, all of this is passing away and all the things of this world and everything in there, but we're, we're not supposed to fix our eyes on that. These things are, are, are all passing away. For, chapter 5, verse 1, we know. That if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house, not made with hands, it's eternal. And the heavens, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. That you are meant to long for this. I, I think probably some of you do. I think you know we joke about it every now and then. You know we just like I can't wait for my new body. I can't wait for this new existence. And then sometimes you can almost feel like, am I supposed to be doing that? You know, is that like you know selfish or carnal? No, he says you are. You should be like, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so excited this is coming. I'm so excited that it's going to be there. I'm longing for this eternal habitation. For indeed, if having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we are in this tent, grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Probably makes perfect sense, but I just want to make sure you just understand what he said. It's not like we're just wanting to die. He says, it's not like we just look at it and we just want to be unclothed. And like somehow, I just just can't wait to be done with this broken world. I just can't wait to get out of here. He says, that's not what our longing is. We're not just looking forward to this life being over. We're looking forward to the real life beginning. Uh, That that there is an expectation for us that is meant to be hungry for heaven. And in this place where we, we long for that. And again, maybe that's yours this evening. Maybe you're already there, but I think I'm talking to somebody that you don't really think about it that way. In some ways, you just can't wait to be done. I mean, in a way, you're like, man, this world is hard. It's painful. It, you know, you go through loss and you go through trouble. And I'm just going to be really, really glad we don't have to do this any longer. Since that's not really where our, we're not, we're not supposed to be longing just to be unclothed. We're not supposed to be longing just to leave this world behind. We are longing for heaven. We are longing for an eternity. We're longing for a life in Christ. We're longing for what that's going to be and all that's laid there. We, we long for that. And again, just reading it, it says in verse four, for we who are in this tent right now, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. We don't just want to die. We're not just like you know, w- you know weird people that love death or something like that. No, we want to be further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord probably pretty simple, but at the same moment, let's just make sure we have the same expectation. So I hope we're here when Jesus comes back. I I hope that that trumpet goes off, and if he does, I know what's going to happen. We're going to meet him in the clouds, and we're never going to leave him again. We'll always be with him. But if God is gracious, and if he waits longer, here's what I also know. There's a time coming where I'm going to put off this earthly body, where you know, like everybody does, I'm going to die. I'm not afraid to die. My, my my, you know, I've already, he's already paid the price for me. So that here's how it works for me: the moment I'm absent from this body, I am present with the Lord. The moment. Again, there's a lot of weird things that people come up with: soul sleep or uh, different things. They'll think, well, you know, maybe you just you know kind of wait in the. No, it's like no. The moment you're done here the very moment you take your last breath here is the moment you're with him and you begin or to enter into that and it is this expectation of longing that helps us to look at what's happening in this world with a sense of, I don't know, this silver lining that is you know, behind every cloud that we can look there and say, yes, it's hard. Yes, sometimes it's painful, but it's worth it down here because everything we're going through is earning us glory. Everything that we go through here has a purpose, and we get a chance to shine the light of Christ in this world. It's worth living uh, here for that purpose, but the moment he's ready to take us home, we're going to be with him, and this new life is going to begin, and it should give us this perspective that has this um, you know, gaze to the future that is filled with hope. That we're not walking by sight, we're not just living a life of uh, what you see is what you get. This is every I'm, I'm living by faith in in what's to come. I'm living by a faith that should undergird everything. Now, if this works well in you, it'll change the way you look at tomorrow and the future. I think Paul words it well. Uh, you know, when he talks about it in Philippians 1, and he's kind of, you know, wrestling uh, through whether he's going to die. He's in prison, and he's not sure whether it's going to be the end of his life, and he's like, you know, he's like, you know, for me, it's, you know, almost, the you know, if I had to choose, which one would I choose, you know, to stay in this body would be fruit, but to to leave is, is to be with Jesus, and he says, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, flexed. I don't know which one I'd choose. Like if you actually gave me the choice, like which one would I choose? He's like, man, they're both good. Uh, They're both good. You know, I mean, either way it's going to go well for me. He says, I think I still have, I think I still have space. I think God's still going to work through my life. And thankfully he did. And and in a simple, silly way, there there should be that in your life right now. It's like either way it's going to be good. If he still has some space for me down here, then my life has purpose. And my sufferings are earning for me a weight of eternal glory. I, it's worth living. It's worth living here. It's worth walking through that. It's worth letting that be a space that, that God would work in, in, in the midst of all that that would be. It's worth having that. But the moment it goes the other direction, the moment it goes the other direction, I'll be with him. You know, so it's kind of a, they're both good. I mean, both options are good for us. You know. Neither one should be, entirely scary you know there is a sense that he says okay we don't lose heart like we we are not you know living our lives afraid to die um, nor are we living our lives just waiting to die you know we're living ready to serve him but we know these things are coming and that kind of life would change things maybe you are maybe I'm saying that and maybe everybody in here this evening that's exactly how you live but maybe you're not maybe somehow you just haven't even thought about it Like you know heaven's coming, but you get so focused on living, you just don't think about it much. You should. That's why we have Feast of Tabernacles. Just to pause and say, have you thought about it? Have you thought about what it's going to be like when we leave this all behind? Have you thought about what a new heaven and new earth looks like when righteousness is going to be there? You should. And let it give you hope. Let it give you a place where you don't lose heart, where it strengthens you. And maybe that very beginning phrase is what we just need to end on. Don't lose heart. Let this kind of give you encouragement. Let this be a space that builds us up with an expectation uh, for that which is to come, with a with a place of knowing it's going to come, so that we would be able to say, you know, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, was like, I want that. I'm looking forward to a city whose builder and maker is God. I don't want this world. I, I, there's not anything down here that would, I would ever you know choose over that. That's what I'm living for, and I know it's coming. So. Let me close this in prayer, and then we'll close in worship, just celebrating that longing that God would just give us that hope here this evening. Father, we think about this tonight, and I love, I love the way you unpack it for us in Scripture. It is so much bigger and better and deeper and more beautiful than I put into words, but I know it's so filled with hope, and I know it's what we need. I think about it tonight. We are in the midst of the, of the Feast of Tabernacles, a time of celebration that anticipates a heavenly celebration that's going to be better and more beautiful than we've ever, ever imagined. God, I live with expectation of that. I live with confidence in that. Confidence it's really coming. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more suffering. No more distance. No more of the things that mark our world right now. Thank you that you are making all things new. I want it. I'm looking forward to it. God, would you help us to have that? Lord, where there's any that are living in fear, fear of today, fear of tomorrow, fear of dying, Lord, would you bring them a hope? if there's any here this evening that don't have you, that aren't ready to die, God, I pray that you draw them first and foremost to Christ, that your salvation would be that which brings life and hope to us. And then, Lord, just for your kids that you love so much, rescue us from living lives only by sight. Help us to be a people that live by faith. Faith in what's to come. Faith in the the, the incredible space that you have made for us. That you're bringing us into. Help, Lord. We ask for that this evening as we just thank you for this and we thank you for the expectation that you are certainly going to fulfill. Trusting you now and always, we do that together in Jesus' name. Amen.